HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you sound in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. And I'm Greg Benson. Hey, buddy. And I'm Souther Teague. <laughs> no. You're Southern's. not Souther Teague. You sound too happy to be Souther Teague. That's right. <laughs> uh, poor Souther. Well, he's actually having a blast over at uh, Bar Convent. He's uh, running a panel right now, so he couldn't be with us, but that's okay. And, you know, I'm I'm bummed that I'm not there this year. Uh, it fell, uh, as it often does, uh, on my birthday weekend. And I've got my twin brother. We have twinsmas. So it's always priority to uh, spend with my family. But when I was living in Brooklyn full-time or even part-time, uh, it was... It was always fun being there. And have you attended anything? I mean, it's closer to you now nowadays that it's been held at the uh, Industry City. The Industry City, for those who are listening who don't know, it's a really cool kind of complex of old buildings um, right on the water, kind of between like Red Hook and and Bay Ridge-ish. I mean, yeah, it's it's, sort of Sunset Park. It's it's very close to Greenwood Cemetery, if that means anything to anyone geographically. But uh, the the point is, it's close to me, which is very nice <laughs> because living in South Brooklyn, very few things are. And it's been it's been wild. I've been to a, a couple of the parties. I haven't been to any of the seminars yet. But honestly, the best part of this is the best part of like Tales or Fifty Best or um, uh, uh, you know any major bartending festival which is that you get to see so many people in one place that you like right. usually have to travel to them to see. It's a, it's like a, it's like a class reunion basically, which is a lot, always a ton of fun. Yeah. And you know, New York city makes it easy for people internationally to do so. You know, I think new Orleans, typically if you're coming from Europe, I think you have to stop in New York anyway, or, you know, it, wherever it might be. I mean, Portland's kind of easy, I think on an international level, but um but of course, New York City is the center of the universe, so it exactly <laughs> makes sense to have something there. I mean, do you remember? Did you ever go to the Manhattan Cocktail Classic? I never went to the Manhattan Cocktail Classic. I think that might have been a little bit before before my time, actually. Yeah, yeah, man, that was that was a real blast. It only lasted for about I think five years or something like that. But they had the big like black tie gala at the New York Public Library. Uh, it, it, it it was just a, a crazy crazy party and so much fun of course all the seminars and kind of like bar kind of mashup parties and all, you know all the all the stuff that we do uh at these different events but the gala was so much fun and uh you know i being in manhattan at the public library it's like felt like you were like in a movie um <laughs> so but this is the brooklyn version of that right it's like way cooler way more hip um, exactly. we've been having parties all week at, at my bar at Grand Army and, uh, there's some really fun stuff. Like tonight we're having the William Grant after party, uh, there, 
which that bar is not big enough for that many people. If you've been to the, <laughs> if you've been to that party, uh, it, it tails, it's like, that's a big one too. But yeah, it's going to be a really long line for that bathroom tonight. That fun, oh wonderful, God. sparkly bathroom you all have. The one restroom. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is fun. Once you get in there, you're like, oh, this is worth the wait. Um, exactly. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's a lot. Real, like to me, what's cool, what's happening these days at these different events is that we have so much more, there's so much more beyond, I always say, thinking outside the glass, right? And it's it's not necessarily so much about the history of this one cocktail or this technique. There's it's it's almost it's blossomed into like a bigger, richer kind of lifestyle awareness situation with our different seminars and parties and just like it's it's I dare I say it's almost like <laughs> it's like turning into like some sort of like burning man of sorts. Like where it's like, <laughs> there's just, there's more than just like, uh, you know, tripping and watching uh, a bar burn in the ground or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's just like, there's so much cool stuff happening in the world of the bar. We've been talking a lot about that uh, over the past few years, especially I think COVID started really making us think about the bar in a different way since we couldn't be in the bar. And so there's been a lot more seminars and, and education on what happens not only with the bartenders, but with us as people and as friends and community. And so on that note, I mean, I think what's really great is that we're having one of our favorite people uh, and back to the studio and we're going to be talking about the education at BCB. We're going to be talking about a new book. I wasn't there for the party um, the other night, I believe it was, uh, for Saved by the Bellini, which is so, so freaking on brand for our guest today. <laughs> Just a really fun and creative person. Um, welcome back to the studio, John DeBerry. Thank you. This is a very nice introduction. You know, when I got your... Uh, your last book, I was thumbing through it and I was just like, man, of course, like this is not only is the bar world changing, you know, like with, you know, we, we don't all wear vests and ties anymore, or not, at least not, not all of us are required to, you know, you don't have to have one to get through the door uh, and get by the bar, but the books are just becoming more and more fun and it's more playful. And it reminds me a lot of, the 90s like my first cocktail book which was called sex on the beach and other wild drinks and it was wow. just like all day glow <laughs> neon and like every drink had some sort of colored liqueur in it and do you still have that yeah absolutely oh in fact god. i went over to <laughs> like, yeah. oh my god yes absolutely <laughs> I, and actually i know that we're both giant fans of benedictine so i actually have a vintage bottle that I found in like our equivalent of a bodega out here in, uh, in California. And I wanted to send that to you, <laughs> but I'll, I'll put that book in there for you to, to check out. <laughs> I was actually at Brian Miller's place. Like, I don't know, 10 to 12 years ago. It was, a, it was, yeah, maybe it was like 2010 or 11. And he was letting me borrow the Harry Johnson's bartender's guide for hotels and restaurants from like 1900. Right. And it was really awesome to borrow that book from him because I was doing consultation for Stumptown Coffee and I was doing this whole training program uh, based on bartending for baristas. But on his shelf, his, his giant bookshelf of cocktail uh, books, he had that book and I was like, dude, I can't believe you have this. You're Brian Miller. Like, you're supposed to have like all these like Trader Vic, you know, Don Beach right. kind of things, like whatever. And uh, I was like, I can't believe you have that, but it also kind of makes sense. And he's like, you know, this book. I'm like, yes, yeah, my first cocktail book. So it's kind of a funny thing, but it has it, like just those two books, the Harry Johnson's bartender's guide to hotels and restaurants to save that by the Bellini. Now, you know, it, like there's just a vast <laughs> difference Right Even just from really. the Harry Johnson's book to uh, uh, Sex on the Beach and Other Wild Drinks. Um, 
And you, I mean, you've worked in these like, like I'm air quoting, like speakeasy cocktail bars in New York City. Um, some of the most notable ones, right? And so how how is that going from this kind of like stodgy, like password, secret handshake world of cocktails? Like, oh, you, you can't make this unless you have a 70-year-old bottle of Punta Mez or whatever it might be, you know, like... <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Like blowing dust off of something before you can make it. <laughs> Triggering. To, to, um, to <laughs> I mean, I think the reason why I'm able to be so, um, I don't know, I guess the irreverent might be the word is because I was that guy. Like I was not for very long, but like in my very early career, I thought it was kind of my job to make sure everyone knew the right way to drink things. Um, Right. And so you'd order a drink for me and I, if it wasn't the kind of drink that I thought you should drink, I would like let you know. And it got old, that got old really fast actually. So um, it kind of is like a little bit of a, almost like a, like reparations for, for being that guy who like yeah. <laughs> you'd go into PDT, someone would be like, Hey, can I get like a whiskey and ginger? And I'd spend like five minutes being like, that's a bad idea. Instead of just being like, whatever, here's your drink. I don't care. Right. Like, are you happy with it? Do you think this is delicious? Um, so I think that that's my first book was really like a kind of like a, a expression of that in terms of just like, Hey, look, yeah. if someone drink if you what you this want is good and book. you know, and you know why it's good and you have a you know, you have like a kind of a, a strong understanding of your own preferences and you've really explored them and, and you're, you're not just thinking something's good because someone else told you it was good, then that's all that matters. Like, it doesn't matter if it's like, you know, if you're drinking soap or, you know, a 70 year bottle of Pushimez, like, <laughs> it's not my problem. Um, and then I think Say by the Bellini is just like a, a further like quadrupling down on that where it's just like, how can this just be as like silly and um, like joyful and frivolous as possible while still kind of under the hood being a quote, like, you know, real cocktail book where there's drinks that if you took them out of context and gave them different names would end up on, you know, any cocktail program in any, you know, 50 best bar kind of, kind of place. So, um, so yeah, I think it's basically the reason why I do these kinds of things is because I am like, you know, kind of like re rehabilitating myself more than anybody else. Well, I, I, I want to ask you about that because I was definitely – I think we all – I imagine anyone yeah. who's like I mean, done <laughs> cocktails is like kind of nodding along to this because when I was in my 20s, like the, Jesus, the first time someone gave me control of a cocktail program when I was like 25, <laughs> I was like, these are all the super – we are going to be like the next death and company. We were not the next death and company, nor should we have aspired to be that place at all. And I think it's almost – it's funny to watch – people relax as they get older. Right. And, and I, I wanted to know if you felt that that was true, but it also kind of seems like the industry as a whole is like now that it's entering a more sort of mature phase of the quote unquote cocktail renaissance. Uh, if you think it's also starting to relax a little bit. I think, yeah. I mean, I think it's, 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 it's the relaxation has been going on for, for a long time. I think that it kind of started with all of like the, now closed but awesome like tiki bars like painkiller and um like lonnie kai r.i.p um where you know it it there was this very very self-conscious and very defensive attitude that a lot of bartenders i.e myself had where it was like you know i i used to, i i went to a fancy college i was supposed to go to law school you know you know working in behind a bar was not like the life plan that I, I don't think that my parents had for me. So I was definitely feeling like, <laughs> no, this is like a real job. Like there's actual academic, you know, this is serious here. stuff. This mom, get out of my room. Yeah. So I think if you, if you, if you're, if you're like, if you, if you show like the silliness of it, then you sort of undermine your own kind of confidence in whatever it is that you're doing. And I think over the course of like, you know, let's say like from like 2005, six to like the next, like those 10 years afterwards, you know, where there are all these bars are popping up and you can go from getting, you can get a Negroni at an airport, you know, now I think that that, that has allowed people to kind of like relax a bit, um, or actually relax a lot. Um, and so I think it is a sign of maturity, you know, that, that you can, that there's a, that there's no one right way to be a, a quote real bartender. Yeah. And you don't well, need to be I, like Orson I, Welles. 
But <laughs> depends on which Orson Welles we're talking about here. Fair, if we're talking about like, yeah, young Orson Welles or like latter days Orson Welles. <laughs> um, but I, I, I love that. And one thing that I always really enjoy because you were, uh, worked at PDT for a while. And whenever I am in a situation where I'm having to like blurb about it, whether it's for like, you know, a short little review or like uh, just rundown of like speakeasy style bars or like classic cocktail bars in the East Village or whatever. I always like to mention that it's the home of Benton's old fashioned, which is like a very, mm. you know, a very serious time consuming, not the sort of thing that anyone can really make at home without a huge degree of effort uh, drink. But it's also the home of a drink you made, the shark, which is blue. <laughs> and yeah. I kind of love that. And I love how you can, within that bar program and a lot of their better known drinks kind of chart that evolution. Yeah. I mean, I did it like I was almost like trolling Jim. Uh, and <laughs> I suggested putting blue curacao in it like as like as a joke. And he was like, okay, fine. You know, like I think it was kind of, he called my bluff on it and then yeah, sure enough, there it is. And it's also, I mean, it's even more of a pain in the ass than the Benton's old fashioned. The Benton's, they also, they both have fat washes, but the Benton's old fashioned, you just make them old fashioned out of it. The shark, you need like 43 other ingredients in order to actually get this drink right. But yeah, that's, both pains in the ass. That's one of the, yeah, but that's, I mean, like you can kind of like, it's almost like uh, the high water mark speech from Hunter S. Thompson. You can kind of see where like the, <laughs> where it changed because like PDT right. was, it is, you know, like that, that bar that kind of straddled that line before anyone else of like, okay, yeah, you, you have to walk through a secret phone booth and like you, you know, it's, it's like a privilege to be there. And uh, speaking of awesome bathrooms, that disco ball yeah. bathroom is so, so amazing. <laughs> um, but the, but at, like at surface level, it definitely feels like a place where you've got to kind of be quiet and listen to old timey jazz. And like, it's like a, almost a date. Oh, I played, I played Mariah Carey when I was there. Yeah. I had like, I had like a secret. I had like, a, I had like a normal playlist that whenever Jim was in the place, I would just like switch it over. But like, right. Yeah. I, did, I definitely <laughs> played Mariah Carey and, you know, everything else. Not just during I Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you know, the, the Ben's old, the Ben's fat, old fashioned, rather. And there's one that's like popcorn infused rum. Yeah, that's cinema highball. There's just like yeah, yeah. So there's like there there was fun being had with these drinks that were not necessarily like like tropical drinks. Uh, I mean, they're like you know like the old fashioned mm-hmm. stuff like that. But like I think that's why there was like the PDT book challenge. You know, those I can't remember the names of those people who did it, but like they were like going through the whole PDT book. Oh, I think wow. was it the same people who did the Savoy cocktail book challenge? Like anyway, they went through and made every cocktail in the PD. They like put it on the huh. blog. But I remember reading at one of their entries, and it was like, you know, this is actually like this doesn't feel the same as like making something out of like a Death and Company menu or book or Milk and Honey. It's like, but this is like one of those places that is like on the level with those bars it's like what's what's different about this it's like oh well there's a bear wearing a hat um you know and they're sliding (laughs) yeah (laughs) hot dogs are a secret door behind the bar you know there's like there's definitely some fun being had it's like taking it seriously but not taking yourself too seriously which i think is the great balance it's like crypt dogs helped a lot because we had this like stoner mecca next to us that sort of enabled a lot of ridiculousness (laughs) <laughs> it I is do, I do love I love a Criff dog. I will never ever go to PDT and not have a Criff dog. Oh, um no. Yeah, you can't you can't <laughs> not. It's an integral part of the experience. In fact, I think the I I always remember the first time I ever went there, um I think I suspect you might have been bartending because there was Mariah Carey possible. playing. Uh, and <laughs> and we also like me and my my girlfriend at the time, we just like walked right in. There wasn't like a wait or anything. And I was like, wow, like this is actually like a really like fun, chill environment. And I found out later, uh, you know, I I'm a bit of a sports guy. Basketball isn't really my thing. But I found out that that night, uh, the reason that we were able to just walk right in and get served immediately was because it was game seven of the Warriors and Cavaliers, which is widely regarded as one of the best games of basketball ever played. So that's why I was like, sweet, this this bar is easy to get into. I don't know what everybody's talking about. Fun fact, Um, there's actually a TV (laughs) at PDG. It's just hidden behind a bunch of signs. Could have put the game on. (laughs) 
dang, if only if only <laughs> past me had known. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to talk a little bit about since since it is BCB going on now, speaking of uh, fun three-letter acronyms, um, you are, uh, we discussed before the show, your title is Official Seminar Picker. Is that correct? Yes, that's, that's it. That's <laughs> correct. So talk to us a little bit about the seminars that you have picked in your official capacity. Yeah, well, I don't actually, I, I, I didn't, I didn't pick individual ones. I, I, I submitted, uh, I think, as a score between like I think one and five for mm. all of the submissions, and then the, the top, however many, um, based on the aggregate of a. Uh, I think I'm not sure how many people are on the are on the are on the committee. Maybe around a dozen or so. Um, and this is my second year doing it. Um, and I think I got roped into it through uh, Lynette Marrero, who's a you know. Where one knows, <laughs> so I probably won't go into her her CV, but we've been friends for a long time, and uh, yeah, this is my second year doing it. I think the first year there were more submissions uh, than this year, possibly, but I think this year that their the submissions were kind of overall more well suited to to BCB, so it was a kind of a, um, a little bit harder to 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 be really critical. Um, I think I kind of judge people really harshly because I'm just like secretly a little mean um <laughs> and so um maybe i'm just you know maybe i i'm i'm over over analyzing it but um yeah it's really cool to see i i think that um a lot of what people are um there's definitely like a lot of the geeky stuff you know like the the dave arnold um kind of like acid adjusting class that happened yesterday and and um you know a lot of the ingredient stuff but i think also people are starting to be um a bit more uh, focus on like the kind of sustainability of like living in, in the, the bar world and uh, being um, both sustainability from like, you know, kind of a environmental and, you know, sourcing perspective, but also just like for human beings and how you actually work um, for longer than three, five years as a bartender, like how do you actually make that happen? So um, yeah, it's cool to kind of have like a finger finger on the pulse uh, by getting this like sort of insidery, uh, feed of of people's ideas as they're sent to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was one of the reasons I, I wanted to ask you this question. Is sort of like you know, what is you you have a, a thirty thousand foot view of kind of like the the feel of the industry, and we talk a lot on this show, and there's a lot of hay made very publicly about like moving towards sustainability and you know uh, providing better you know really focusing on like people's mental health because lord mm -hmm. knows this is a, a industry that neglected that for a very long time uh so i was kind of curious if you if you saw any particular trends in that direction and specifically if there was like you know for a while there when you got a mental health seminar i kind of felt like mental health is good have you tried right. getting eight hours of sleep have you tried <laughs> yoga and i was like yes and i'm still stressed out and drinking too much like what's your yeah. next move so i was wondering sort of there if what was happening in those arenas and if you saw any particular trends happening this year i think i mean this is probably broader than just bcb but i think that people are starting to kind of like run into the kind of like the practical limitations of all of these things that sound nice with um, the reality of living, uh, of working in, a, in an industry where uh, you can't do a bartending job remotely. Uh, and so how do you actually, um, I mean, not yet, but I mean, how do you prioritize things like sleep and work? And how do you find a therapist who's has your hours, you know, how do you find health insurance for your staff? You know, how do you implement, you know, tip free models if that's what you want to do. Um, but I think also a lot of, um, a lot of, and I think it did, did see some of this in, in the BCB submissions, but like, um, like how do you take your career from, you know, kind of quote, you know, just being a bartender, you know, four nights a week or whatever. And how does that turn into a long-term career? Cause I think that that's, um, some people, I think, love bartending, and they they will bartend until they fall over and, and die behind the bar in, in you know a fifty year career. But some people, you know, it's definitely like the the, the entry point into a, a larger world and how to actually parlay uh, your expertise and how to like you know keep your head in the game kind of on a long term basis because that's you know that's speaking from experience. Like I I liked bartending, but I I didn't want to do it forever, and so it's just. It, it takes a lot of skill and luck and, and hard work um, and, you know, built-in um, advantages, of course, uh, to get to a point where you can still be a bartender and, and not – I haven't been behind the bar for 
for I don't even remember like last time I actually had like a shift. Um, so it's possible, and I think people are starting to kind of learn how to to build those channels like as an industry. Yep, it's it's the big question, right, or uh, the big series of questions. I mean, there's so much talent out there these days. Yeah. And not everyone can be like, you know, Delta Groff or Julie Reiner. <laughs> you know, like it's right. It, you know, so it, that's the thing I worry about is like, especially for people who are getting into it, uh, like a little bit, I don't want to say late in the game, but like a little bit like more, like more recent uh, enthusiasts are getting into the bar world that actually you're seeing it in a much better state than it was when we started. Um, there's actual the health benefits in uh, quite a few places. And, you know, I think um, another thing is that just not being open till four in the fucking morning is a pretty good idea for your mental health. Like Grand Army has a four o'clock liquor license, but guess what? We are never open till four o'clock. We are barely open till one or two at the latest. And it keeps the staff. That's one thing that keeps the the healthy staff. Yeah. Of course, they all go out after the shift and go to another bar that is open. <laughs> but well, yeah, but then, but then they're only out until like three or four, and not you know sunrise. Seven. That's a, yeah, yeah, a exactly. crucial difference. Yeah. <laughs> of course, then you miss the McDonald's breakfast as the you know end of the night thing. But anyway, we oh, we, we digress. We digress. That's uh... <laughs> oh man when 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 we had prime meats, we when we first opened prime meats, we were open from seven a.m. to two a.m. And it was wow. the full menu the whole time. You could go in and order coat de boeuf by the ounce at 7 a.m. in a Manhattan. And there were so yes. many bartenders who would show up <laughs> and, like oh, after God. their shifts and order like these, like I'm talking like 120 ounce steaks and like <laughs> in like old fashions and stuff. And I was like, man, oh, that's man. that's cool. Like once or twice in your life to say you did it, but it's not... That's not sustainable. Yeah, the the twenty two year old in me is like that sounds rad, and the thirty four year old that I'm actually am is like Jesus Christ, no, that would that would destroy my entire week. <laughs> and now the forty year old in me is like, wow, seven a.m. dinner breakfast sounds kind of cool because I'm already up by like five thirty. Anyway, so. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Maybe not a steak in a Manhattan, but you know, like definitely a seven a.m. breakfast sounds good. Yeah. Steak in a Manhattan and a black coffee, you know, just to get your day started. Right. Yeah, just just to make sure it sounds breakfasty. Like the yeah. coffee before this thing, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, John, I, I definitely want to talk to you a little bit more about um, the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation and, of course, get into your book a little bit. But before we do that, we should probably take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. So we'll be right back with John DeBerry here on The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams of new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. And in the studio today, we have our friend John DeBerry, which we were just talking about some current things going on with uh, BCB and kind of the bartending world at large. And uh, one major thing that is happening currently is that you just released your second book, uh, the first book called Drink What You Want. Great book. Definitely go check that out okay. if you haven't seen it yet. Um, the, that copy is, you know, after a while, John, I mean, 
I have so many fucking cocktail books that I'm like, <laughs> I have to be really selective yeah, of which ones I keep out, uh, like oh. out on display. I mean, most of them are back at, like on, we've got these bookshelves at Grand Army. So there's like, there's tons of books there. And I'm talking like, I've been collecting cocktail books since I was 12 years old. And so I, I've got a bunch, um, which is kind of a weird thing to hear. A lot of people think that's weird when I say that, but. You know, Sex on the Beach and Other Wild Drinks was that that book that I saw at, like, Sam Goody or I can't remember where, Tower. Oh, yeah. Sam Goody. Wow. Anyway, it was like, I was like, this looks fun. And uh, it looks like something that maybe I won't get in trouble for buying. I thought you had to have an ID to, like, buy a cocktail book. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's one of those things. <laughs> you don't, like, actually. Yeah. You don't. Funny. Yeah. So, yeah, I started, uh, started doing that. But, anyhow, uh, it's one of those books that I have... I have about like eight to 10 like cocktail books that are kind of like in my kitchen at home that are just kind of like there for references. And that's one of my favorite ones for when oh, people come you. over. I'm like, oh, yeah, thank you for making that happen because I, I show it to people like it. And it's, you know, most of my friends are like they're whether we're friends because they're well versed in uh, in good cocktails and good food. Or maybe it's because we are friends that they are now. I don't want to take credit for that, but um, but them in. it's you know. So it's one of those books where if I have people over and they're like, you know, if we have a like a cookout or something, you know, I'll sh- I'll show that book to them if they're like, yeah, I drink like, you know, every once in a while martini or Manhattan or old fashioned. I'm like, well, check this book out. Like, you need mm-hmm. to. This is a good reference for like like feeling free to order something there because you know it's there's a whole beautiful world of drinks out there and on that note the new book saved by the bellini is like you just nailed the the 90s like fashion revival (laughs) thread so hard with this one and it's uh it's super fun i mean actually the the artwork the covers awesome super fun you've got like a i think it's like a cocktail with like a sweater on drinking a yeah it's like this it's like the zach morris zach morris phone yeah yeah (laughs) i can't take credit for that i that's yeah that's the our my illustrator uh clara kirkpatrick uh who like i didn't give her i mean maybe there was some more behind the scenes but the very very kind of like um surface sort of like uh art direction uh from from me at least and she just ran with it and made all the little anthropomorphized drinks that you can see everywhere so i love like drinks with arms you know who knew yeah exactly <laughs> drinks with arms but yeah it looks like a cosmo wearing like a, a letter jacket with a yeah. Morris phone <laughs> yeah. it's so good so good um so yeah i mean was this just like tell tell us about the inspiration for this book uh, well, it's funny because I, I, it's, it's, I, I love hearing you say that, that, that like, you know, someone, someone like you, uh, loves drink what you want because when I, when it first came out, I was really nervous that like people, you know, such as yourself would find it very kind of like blasphemous and sort of heretical that like, I, I sort of set out to make like the, like, I was like, what's the opposite of liquid intelligence? Like how can, how can I make Dave Arnold <laughs> as mad as possible? Um, and so I was a little nervous actually that like these, these t- kind of like demystifying things and kind of like ungatekeeping a lot of the things that I personally was responsible for gatekeeping um, would, would kind of land a bit like, like, you know, sort of a little bit like almost a little disrespectful from, from like bartenders. Uh, and, and it actually like it did not happen because I'm, I'm insane. And I just imagine like the worst possible scenario for everything. But um, I think that the fre- kind of breath of relief that I had after that book came out and it was received like very positively by by my peers who I was nervous about their uh, what they would think about it. I think that kind of was like let me uh, really feel like okay now I can now it's like now it's like really now I can really do what I want because I've sort of got I sort of made this kind of level of credibility for myself where I can talk about serious quote serious bartending things but still be ridiculous and per, and be also very personal and and autobiographical and. Um, very kind of have very voice voicey uh, with it. And so I wanted to do, I had, you know, I wanted to do another book. Uh, I wanted to do 
something that wasn't just like another cocktail book. So I was just rattling off, you know, kind of ideas. And then, um, you know, Say by the Bellini actually was the, the title. Drink What You Want came very late into the, in the process. It was almost the last thing we figured out. And Say by the Bellini was like the first thing. And then once you have a title like that, the book basically writes itself. So it's like, you know, you have 90s, you have, you make a Say by the Bell Bellini. Um, and then you just need to find 60 or so other pop culture references that you can make <laughs> drinks based around. And then you basically have a book. So the book itself like was came about like just almost like it was so painless for me actually um, because I just knew exactly what I was going to write. And so I, you know, I love the nineties as just like a person who lived it. Uh, it was like kind of the year, like to me, I feel like the nineties were sort of like the adolescence of our culture in a way. And that like the internet was kind of being, seeping into our lives and sort of the way that we kind of act now is kind of formulated in the nineties. So it was very kind of like pivotal. And then also like for me personally, I, I entered it as like a child and then I exited it and I was like basically in college. So it was like that was mir mirrored in like the broader world uh, that I was living in and within myself personally. So it just felt like a very kind of poignant and salient thing to, to write about. Um, and, I, and to me, it's like, I actually just wanted to write, a book about the nineties first and then, okay, yeah, sure. Here are some cocktail recipes. And so I really, my, my goal was to write something that was almost like not necessarily like a reference or like an encyclopedia of the nineties, but just like, I wanted it to be an interesting book that people wanted to read. And then, Oh, also here's like, you know, a fruity pebbles cocktail. I really want to ask you what you're, you know, it sounds like you're very all in on this whole nineties revival that's happening. I have some like, I have some weird mixed feelings about it, but also I just want to ask like, cause you know, some of the stuff that's coming back, I see bucket hats now and I'm like, didn't we learn our lesson the last time around? But some of the <laughs> other stuff is fun. Like, um, like the Robert Pattinson Batman movie that came out last year used uh, a Nirvana song at a pretty pivotal moment. And then all of a sudden, Nevermind was trending again so was for good. the first yeah. time. And like, yeah, yeah. And it, and, it, and it was, and it was a good use of the music. I mean, I so used I just, to listen to like Nevermind while like in fourth grade, like running around playing tag at like birthday parties. Like it's just really strange. Like, yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> It's Where weird. It's weird from. to see like the kids into grunge again. I'm just like, oh, okay. Like, and also it's like, nice. I'm like, I, I've, I already know how to do, I already know how to travel at this speed. This is cool. I'm cool again. Briefly. Yeah. Well, I wonder how, how much of the fashion is actually being uh, paired up with the music. That's my big thing. So like, I, I get like, uh, like <laughs> crop tops and like wide leg jeans and, and bucket hats and all that stuff. Cause yes, we, we, we all did that. But then I'm like, are they listening to like grunge and like, are they listening to like, do they have like six underground on a cassette tape? Ooh. You know, like, is there like, what's, what are they listening to? But, um, but also I'm like a, I'm a seventies throwback dude. So like, I, I can't be like, I can't, I can't talk shit on like anyone yeah. who's like, did not, did, wasn't around in the nineties. Like I wasn't around in the seventies. I was born in 81. So like when, when Nirvana is like, never mind came out in 91. I was 10 years old. I it, it hit at the perfect time for me. Yeah. And then like, and then Weezer came out like a couple years later or whatever. And it was like, but then on TV, there was still like Saved by the Bell and like, you know, all like the really wonderful, like shitty, like, like <laughs> One Tree Hill and like, like all those shit. There was like, there's a lot going on. Raves. I went to so many fucking raves. Um, <laughs> I wanted to go to raves so badly. I was so excited to go to raves when I was when I was younger. Yeah, I me too. To like, yeah, I went to like I went to Twilight, like snuck into Twilo when I was like eighteen. Congratulations! Oh my if god! You're old, if you're awesome. old enough to know what Twilo is, <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for that. I don't know. I feel like I feel like the like the revival is happening in a kind of a fragmented way, and I think that like actually a lot of what people think about are are is like kind of 90s is actually a bit more like a cuspy y2k 2002 aesthetic in terms of like fashion right now you know you see this sort of like the low-rise jeans and this kind of like yeah very kind of like late late 90s early 2000s aesthetic but then you're right the music i don't know where music is right now these days it's just sort of everything like genre and trend is just completely broken i feel like because there's just so much right. out there and there's not like four radio stations. So it's just like, you can kind of pick your own thing. And I think now, you know, it's, I feel like doing a, a cocktail book about like the 2020s is like, 
can you even is or even like the 2010s is like everything is kind of like d distinct decades i feel like the 90s might have been one of the last ones robert simonson just put out his book about like the uh the modern cocktail or renaissance right and it really just covers from like 2000 to 2015 mm. that that era and um so i mean i think there's going to be like when we when he was on the show last time i guess it was a couple of months ago or something like that time it doesn't make sense to me anymore um but yeah, same. he was like yeah he was like i wonder if like in 20 years people would be writing about the the 2020s right. cocktail movement and i don't know if there will be one or if there, if we're in it now we just don't realize it and it's happening and then we'll look back and be like oh there was definitely something happening there there is and a big part of that i would say is like we finally broke into tv um like the medium of television mm. uh in a way that actually is you know stuck it and it, it top 10 and on netflix you know like it's like we were trying to do that for a long time but it never really stuck we really couldn't figure out the format but then it became someone finally figured it out but you know it's one of those things well we're getting a little off topic but uh let's take it back <laughs> to the 90s so um so you know the funny thing about writing a book the reason why i haven't finished one yet is because like you said a very important thing that you said is like you didn't want to just write another cocktail book and it just another collection of recipes that has to have a, a story and a through line and a theme and every, like pretty much most publishers these days, they, that's all they want is like a hundred recipes. And if you can't do a hundred recipes with descriptions, um, it's kind of like not marketable. Right. So right. the fact that you found something like this, that is, first of all fun um and no one done it before uh unless it was done you know during the 90s <laughs> which uh but you know it, during the 90s people were writing about drinks from the 70s so yeah you know, it's kind of one of those things where i'm just glad it's out um and i can't wait to get further into it like i went i know that like there are all these like uh I guess what I'm getting is I just, I like, I like having fun. I don't know. I call me crazy, but, um, <laughs> I like fun cocktails. Ironic considering we live, we work in this industry. Yeah. I mean, we're supposed to be having fun. We're not supposed to take it too seriously, right. but like, <laughs> you know, I, I, there was like one night around like three o'clock in the morning where like we're at the bar, I'm behind the bar. And then someone's like, Ooh, Manhattans are like, they're too strong. And I'm like, yeah. So I mix up a Manhattan and I was like, I poured a little bit. Uh, for them and I was like try this and they were like yeah it's still too strong and it was like with Rittenhouse so I poured the rest to a glass and took it down by myself like as a shot and I was like you know what <laughs> this has gotten to a dark period we need to like brighten up and lighten up a little bit and like make this a little bit more fun and bright and not so like this just straight up depressing and brooding <laughs> like, we need more drink what you wants and Saved by the Bellinis in the world. Thank you. Yeah, I, I agree. What do you think, Greg? Um, I mean, I, I I completely agree. I think that we, you know, I I love I love that we are moving in the direction of fun. And I actually wanted to ask you, John. I, I was going to ask like if you had a favorite '90s reference in the book, but I'm going to rephrase my question. I'm going to ask if there is a reference, and I feel like the answer is going to be yes. Is there a reference where you were like, oh, man, this is a real stretch to like move this bit of 90s <laughs> nostalgia and smush it against this cocktail recipe. But damn it, I'm going to see oh. if I can get away with it. Was there one of those? Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Um, I mean, the thing is, if, if you have a long enough head note for your recipe, you can get away with anything. Because you don't <laughs> have enough time to just jump through a lot of intellectual hoops to get to where you need to be, where you're like, yes, like lemon juice is boy bands you know like you can do anything but um for for <laughs> me i think that the um the uh the, the coolest thing that probably like i would say does not have like the most insanely strong connection to the source material is this like um date infused uh dark and stormy riff that i did and it's called like dark and datey and so it's D D. and you'd think that this would be a reference to dungeons and dragons which it 
could very well be because I do play Dungeons and Dragons and I have since, since the 90s, but that D&D came out in like the 70s. So it's, it's not, it doesn't really work as a, as a 90s reference, but it's actually a reference to Melrose Place. Uh, <laughs> which I which I loved uh, as a, as somehow I was able to watch that as a kid, even though it was I don't know very adult for me, um, <laughs> and it had one of the first kind of normal depictions of a gay person on TV uh, that I was aware of. And there's also I, what I was not aware of at the time, and I actually didn't become aware of it until pretty recently, was that there is this very um, kind of clandestine art project where these like this group of artists led by this guy Mel Chin who I actually had I, I, I have a I don't know when I don't know if it'll be out by the time this comes out but I have a, a companion podcast that I'm working on with with HRN and I interviewed the guy who did this and it was the most interesting interview I've ever done in my whole life and what he did is he and a group of artists got together and made very kind of like sort of like twisted um and like referential art pieces and like they tracked down the production designer of Melrose place and got them to put these like subversive pieces of art into the, the sets. And there were these references to like, it was uh, like the Oklahoma city bombing, but instead of like the actual explosion, it was like a whiskey bottle in the it cut out in the building. And it was like history of alcohol history of this racism. It's always like, um, reproductive health references. They, they made this, they made this blanket that had the molecular, uh, symbol for RU486 and like in the scene like the actress is talking about like getting an abortion um, and so it was this very 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 easter eggy kind of thing that like was not talked about in the time like there was no there was no YouTube explainers you know going through like episode 12 <laughs> of Melrose Place season 16 wow. you know like, explaining everything you missed and it was just it was just there and it just sort of stood for itself and in the show the uh, Heather Locklear's character uh, owns a, an ad agency called D&D and in the show the ad agency takes on the museum that was sponsoring the real life art project as a client in the show so it became this whole fourth wall self-referential oh like Ouroboros thing and so that's such a cool story but that has nothing to do with cocktails I mean it kind of does because there's some alcohol references in there but like yeah, it's just a dark and stormy that I'm smooshing together with this really cool story about Melrose Place, <laughs> and it just works because the story is so cool. Um, but yeah, like it, some some a, some are more stretches than others. That is such a high level of detail that I never ever would have ascribed to Melrose Place <laughs> ever. Right? That's insane. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, it felt very internety and very 2010s. 20, you know, it felt very now, but it was done at a time when it was just like the kind of infrastructure for the society to, to like kind of process it was just not there. Yeah. You have to imagine they were probably just like, no one's going to, it's, it's like that drink that like, you're like, well, this will probably please exactly three people that order yeah. it, but I love it. So fuck it. I'm doing it for me. Like that exactly. was probably, they're like, if no one gets this, but us will still be happy about it. Right. I love that. I think that's yes, awesome. It's, it's like the Zwack cocktail you put on the menu. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know what that just reminded me of? Not Zwack, but uh, the, the story about D&D. It's like, do you have any references to uh, um, subliminal messaging and uh, uh, animated Disney movies from the 90s? <laughs> oh, I don't. That would be fun, though. Like uh, Little Mermaid comes to mind. Um, there's good teenagers take off their clothes. That's another one. Th- there's like, yeah, there's a that's lot. The Aladdin, that's, that's the Aladdin one. Right. <laughs> that's the next 90s book. I guess like you're going to have to do safe by the like, you know, you're gonna have to come up with another one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Another cool reference. Disney, please <laughs> don't sue me. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, yeah, get it. Or I mean, at this point you'll probably get a show on Disney plus. I feel like everyone's going to get a streaming show for these. Now you can just, you know, be, oh. again, be very meta. About Fingers it, you crossed. Know? I love, love that. Yeah. Um, so let's, we, we're kind of running uh, towards the end of the show. Greg, you wanted to talk about the, RWCF, right? I did. I did. Especially now that the pandemic is over. Um, I know that, in fact, you were one of our very first guests when we were all figuring out how to do this in in, uh, the closet studio that I'm still in. Uh, Different closet, same vibes. Um, But, uh, you know, we're... uh, we were all like, what the hell's going on? No one gets what's happening. Like when, how are we going to survive these two weeks to flatten the curve? And (laughs) I really, I loved having you on because I really was um, inspired by watching you and uh, the 
everyone else behind the RWCF jump into action there and, you know, really, really take charge. And it was, I was really um, touched that you were willing to come on our, our goofy little program and let us signal boost you. Um, you. And so I kind of want to know now that we're, back to whatever we're pretending normal is these days um what what you were up to and how your mission has sort of evolved and changed and um where you're where you ugh, to use the to use the word that we all got sick of in 2020 where you have pivoted to and what oh. you see happening mm. next well the funny thing about it is that actually the you know restaurant workers community foundation was something that started when in 2016 so we we did we did not have any sort of imagination that there would be a global um you know respiratory health crisis that we would have to respond to when uh we came up with the structure and the goals for this organization um, and in many ways the where we are now we're just back to where we were basically in terms of our mission in terms of our um i mean i don't, I don't want to say i mean we've built so much so it's not like we're we're, we're back down, but it's basically, we've sort of, um, reemerged into the kind of steady state that was kind of existing before, you know, COVID really, really got going. So, um, it's, it feels like COVID the two years of like really intense COVID work that we were doing was like this, like, it was like a fever dream. And now we're kind of like, Oh, this is just sort of like back in the trajectory that we had projected for ourselves back in 20, 17 when we were like putting together our you know budgets and all of our legal stuff so um it's 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 great because we've built this uh network of organizations and so just to back up a little bit like restaurant workers community foundation is primarily a fundraising organization and so um that's what the word foundation you know community foundation implies is that you know most foundations you know think about like Mackenzie scott or ford foundation you know they just have a bunch of money they're sitting on they give it away and that's that's the primary thing that they do whereas community foundations they raise money so we've always been a fundraising operation first and foremost and before covid we didn't really have the credibility to raise money we we apply for grants and we did negroni week and then we were definitely uh helped out by that a lot but a lot of times we asked for money and they'd be like you're great but what have you done like we don't really have any track record to to, to base our, our our support of you on and now we have two years of a very very intense track record you know we we raised over $10 million. We've turned most of it around and given it out to organizations that were providing relief work and doing more systemic change. Um, and now we actually have to start to learn how to be an organization that raises money um, proactively because it just sort of fell into our lap during COVID. You know, we, people were dying for something, something to, to give money to and maybe dying is the wrong word, but like people were really like craving something like, how do I help? You know, I'm sitting at home. I can't go out to restaurants. And I know people are really suffering. Um, and then we get shouted out on, you know, podcasts like this or, you know, our Dave Chang goes on Jimmy Kimmel and gives us a shout out. And, and we're just, we're seeing you know tons of money flow in uh, without us having to lift a finger, which is an amazing place to be. But now that people think that COVID is over, which definitely is not, um, and they sort of moved on to the next exciting thing to give money to. How do you actually build a long-term fundraising operation? Because that's what our goal is. What I want to be able to do is to aggregate the financial power of workers in the industry and use it to support directly or support organizations that are actually doing the on-the-ground work of both making life better you know, day-to-day, but also working to like undo a lot of the structures in the industry that are directly responsible for why people are having such, you know, had such a bad time during COVID. You know, you don't have paid leave, you don't have health insurance, you know, you don't work, you don't get paid, you're no call, no show, you get fired. Like minimum wage is still basically nothing at this point. You know, seven twenty five an hour federally, two dollars and thirteen cents if you get tips, you know, it's higher in some places, but it's still really bad. Um and like we were talking about before, you know, mental health, these all these things, all these structural things um had been going on for decades if not centuries and after you know now that covid's tore through everybody and upended the industry and sort of reorganized things i think things are kind of worse but a little better but it's hard to really say if like we've emerged from the you know intense covid crisis um in a way that's leaving people better off i don't know i mean that is that is that's the question that that we all are afraid of answering honestly yeah. into a live microphone, right? Like, right. did we actually take that opportunity to make anything better and and make changes, or did we were we just so excited to get back to normal 
that we were like willing to to push kick some of our goals or those you know admittedly lofty goals but very basic goals of like you know paid sick leave uh down the road um whether or not we were so eager to get back to the industry that we love and the people we love and the times that we love that we were willing to like forestall those you know yeah i mean i think one thing i think at least i'm seeing just anecdotally is a lot of places are more comfortable being closed um (laughs) you know like if you don't have the staff to be open seven days a week you know 12 hours a day which is which was very normal uh pre-covid uh maybe you're closed on monday like maybe that's just great you know i plenty of restaurants are just like yeah we're not open on monday and tuesday like deal with it and that's not and because before it was like you were like a loser if you weren't open seven days a week and it's just like why are we killing ourselves so that we can make like two grand on a monday yeah yeah that's the big question um yeah i actually really respect there's a Actually, it's the restaurant that catered my wedding uh, a couple months ago. They are closed on Sunday and Monday. And um, as much as I would love to go there on a Sunday or Monday, I'm just like, hell yeah, good for you. Yeah, exactly. And his staff, uh, the owner's staff, is just, he has like such insane staff retention. I've been going to this place for five years and I have only seen new hires. I've never seen anyone leave. Wow. And he really takes care of them, you know? And so like, that's one of those things. It's like, you can take care of people in other ways and just, I mean, everyone should have health benefits, I I believe, you know, but also there's other ways. Like you said, that's probably the most simple ones being comfortable with a day off. I wonder sometimes like, you know, there, there's been like days without an immigrant, uh, you know, kind of movements. And I wonder what it'd be like if we did like a, a day without restaurants and bars. The world would Bars probably and restaurants freak. on strike. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we should go on strike. Go on strike out. for nationalized health insurance. That that would be a good one, right? I mean, maybe honestly, we- yes. <laughs> honestly, totally. Like, I'm, I'm, de- I'm dead serious, John. If you want to like talk after this about organizing <laughs> something like that, let's fucking do it. Like, see how see how these people who are like you know the 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 people who play for the wrong team in the federal government see how they like cooking their own meals for an entire day. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I think like, if only. So, yeah, I think like I was gonna we, say, I'm, I'm probably gonna get like, uh, you know, like the government's gonna come find me and like, you'll never hear from me again, like for <laughs> suggesting this. Like, the pillowcase is over your head. <laughs> exactly, Damon. We, we lost you. Are you there? Getting a bad. I think your Wi-Fi is down, Damon. <laughs> oh boy! So it begins. Yeah. Um, well, John, this is like. It's great talking with you about this stuff. I know you're very passionate about not only the cocktails and and the the fun of them and uh, the industry, but like you're very passionate about taking care of the people in it. I think that's one of the most important things for us is to figure out how to, because no one else is figuring it out for us, right? So we've got to figure out how to do it on our own collectively. And I really, you know, as as one of those people who has been in the industry for a long time, I really appreciate people like you who are making moves to, move things forward so thank, thank you. you for that yeah um you can find more information at it's www.restaurantworkerscf.org so that's, that's community right. foundation um and there's actually some really good information on there um ways to like donate uh there's some great videos and just cool resources um and there's a way to get involved on that website as well. So go check it out. And also, man, I'm just like really proud of you for writing these two books. Oh, thank <laughs> you. They're so awesome. <laughs> what a great contribution to the cocktail book world. <laughs> thank you. So much fun. And uh, it's, I know that you're, uh, you're busy with BCB right now, so you're going to be running around. Um, so anyone who's out there, uh, definitely, if you can, get if you get a chance to say hi to John DeBerry, um, I'm sure he would love to hear from you. Um, but he's also very busy, so don't hold them up for too long. <laughs> um, but uh, John, thank you again for being on the show. It's always a pleasure. Um, can you plug your um, companion show for us? 
Uh, yeah. Um, I think it's called. It's gonna be called Saved by the Bellini, the podcast, and it's gonna be on Heritage Radio Network. Um, hopefully, hopefully very soon. I, I I've done all the recordings. I just need to record some other stuff and put it all together in a way that looks nice, and then we're good to go. So hopefully, you should be able to check it out. Um, very soon. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, again, thanks for being on the show today. It's a real pleasure to have you always. Um, Greg, you got anything else for us? Nah, man. Just uh, next week, we got Mandy Naglich coming on the show. She's a, a really good friend of mine, um, and she's going to be talking about her new book, How to Taste, which uh, I got a <clears throat> advanced copy of. And it's very fun going through uh, just the science of tasting, how we taste things, why we taste things. There's an experiment in there that I actually – uh, was a, a guinea pig for involving uh, brownies and gray poupon mustard. So it's going to be a fun show. So that's coming on <laughs> next week. So stick around. That strangely sounds pretty good to me. Um, you know, it really was. It really, but I'm not going to, but you're going to have to wait to hear it from me and her next week. Okay. Gotcha. No spoilers. Well, <laughs> I will bring brownies and gray poupon to the studio next week and be ready for this. We can do a live tasting. Um, well, cool. I'm looking forward to that. All right. Well, that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Check out Heritage Radio Network for many more programs like this one, including Saved by the Bellini podcast. And till next week, cheers. Cheers, everybody. So you don't shun the devil with your rock. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.